0: to take a look at and examine how evangelism pleases God. And it's uh, appropriate that we'd have a missions update, and it's also appropriate that uh, with what's going on in the world around us, that we understand the importance of uh, sharing the gospel with others, those who have never heard. And, uh, And simply put, the gospel or evangelism is just telling others the good news about Jesus Christ that uh, he is God in human flesh who came to this earth for a specific purpose, and the purpose was to reconcile or make right a wrong that had taken place in, in the past. And the Bible says that just through one man that sin entered the world. Speaking of Adam, Jesus said he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And it was an action that took place in the past when Adam sinned against God and rebelled against him. Therefore, all of us come into this world with a rebellious heart against the, the ways of God so jesus came to this earth for the specific purpose of reconciling that difference between man and god he lived a perfect life he'd never sinned he shed his blood on the cross and the purpose of his shedding of the blood it says in in hebrews that without the shedding of blood there can be no forgiveness of sin therefore he had to take on the form of of human flesh so that he could shed his blood he rose three days later proving that he was god and also proving that if he said he could offer us eternal life, he's sh- he shown and demonstrated that that possibility exists by the fact that he came back from the dead himself. It's interesting, we have a lot of different cultures in our world today and a lot of different religious leaders. But the one difference that separates Jesus Christ from any other religion around the world, for lack of a better expression, is that those religious leaders, we all know where they're buried. But Jesus Christ is alive. And the Bible teaches that he conquered death. And that's a simple story. I mean, and it's, maybe we shouldn't call it a story. Maybe we should say those are the facts that God wishes us to share with others who had never heard that. That's as simple as it is. But yet, for some reason, evangelism or sharing that message with other people becomes very difficult in our lives as individuals to share that with others that we come in contact with. I like what I heard, actually was a pastor who wrote that even he had difficulties at times sharing that message with others around him. And it said that he got on an airplane and he was dressed kind of casually and he had uh, blue jeans on and he really, he was kind of feeling a little bit inhibited by what he was wearing and he didn't want to have a conversation with the person next to him. And so he thought he'd just look straight ahead and he wouldn't talk, he wouldn't say anything and uh, before he knew it, the guy sat next to him and said, hi, how are you? And now he was stuck so he said, uh, I'm fine. And so to be polite, he began to ask him about what he did. And this is the story that took place on the airplane. If you've ever been on the plane, you could identify with what took place. In fact, if you've ever been on the plane, let me give you, and you're gonna talk to the person next to you, let me just give you a little hint. I did this once on, on a flight across the country and for the next I think it was like three days I walked around like this so what you might want to do is you might want to just turn those shoulders a little bit like this because man it can get really rough on the neck But anyway so he was talking to the guy next to him and he said he said uh, well what do you do for a living the guy who sat next to him was, was dressed impeccably, he had a Wall Street Journal tucked under his, uh, under his uh, coat, he had a, a suit on and he sat down, and so the pastor, wishing to just have a conversation and just keep it kind of on the surface, said, oh, what do you do? And this is what the guy said, he said, I'm in the figure salon business, we can change a woman's self-concept by changing her body, it's really a profound, powerful thing. His pride spoke between the lines. And uh, so the pastor said, well, you look my age. Have you been doing this very long? He said, oh, I just graduated from the University of Michigan School of Business Administration. They've given me so much responsibility already, and I feel very honored. In fact, I hope to eventually manage the western part of the operation. So the pastor said, oh, so you're a national organization. He said, oh, yes, we're the fastest-growing company of our kind in the nation. It's really good to be part of an organization like that, don't you think? And I nodded approvingly and thought, hmm, impressive, proud of his work and accomplishments. Why can't Christians be proud like that? Why are we so often apologetic about our faith and even about the church? He looked at my clothes once again and he asked the inevitable question What do you do? He said, well, it's interesting uh, that we have similar business interests. You're in the botting changing business. I'm in the personality changing business. We apply basic theocratic principles to accomplish indigenous personality modifications. (laughs) He was hooked. I knew it, but he'd never admit it. He said hesitantly, you know, I've heard about that. (laughs) But do you have an office here in this city? I said, oh, we have many offices. We have offices up and down the state. In fact, we're national. We've got offices in every state of the union, including Alaska and Hawaii. In fact, we're international. (laughs) He had this puzzled look on his face, but he wouldn't admit it. He was searching his mind to identify this huge company he must have read or heard about, perhaps in the Wall Street Journal. As a matter of fact, we've gone international, and management has a plan to put at least one office in every country of the world by the end of this business era. I paused for a moment. Looked at him and said, do you have that in your business? He said, well, uh, no, not yet, uh, but you mentioned management. How do they make it work? I said, well, it's a family concern. You see, there's a father and there's a son, and they run everything. (laughs) He said, well, you know, he said, well, it must take a lot of capital, he asked kind of skeptically. I said, oh, you mean money? Yeah, I suppose it does. No one knows just how much it takes, but we never worry much about money because there's never a shortage. The boss always seems to have enough. He's a very creative guy, and the money is, well, it's just there. In fact, those of us in the organization have a saying that our boss owns a cattle on a thousand hills. <laughs> the man looked and said, oh, he's into ranching, too. No, 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 it's just a saying we, we use to indicate his wealth. My friend sat back in the seat musing over our conversation. He said, well, uh, but what about you? Oh, the employees, there's something to see. I said, they have a spirit that pervades the organization that works like this. The father and the son, they love each other so much that their love filters down through the organization so that we all find ourselves loving one another too. I know this sounds old-fashioned in the world like ours, but I know people in the organization are willing to die for me. Do you have that in your business? I was almost shouting now. People around me in the airplane started to turn around and look. He said, "Um, um, um, not yet, not yet. He quickly changed strategies. He says, "Uh, but do you have good benefits? Oh, the benefits? (laughs) The benefits, they're substantial, I countered with a gleam. I have complete life insurance. In fact, we even have fire insurance. (laughs) He said, you might not believe this, but it's true. I have holdings in a mansion that's being built for me right now for my retirement. Do you have that in your business? (laughs) He said, not yet, but I could see the light was beginning to dawn. He said, you know, one thing bothers me about all you've been saying. I've read the journals, and if your business is all you say it is, why haven't I heard about it before now? He said, that's a great question. We've all been there. I know we're not quite as creative as this particular minister was on his plane flight, but the interesting thing is, that's a great question. It's a profound question. If this is so great then why hasn't anybody heard about it until now? Last week we analyzed some reasons why people don't hear about it and we looked at some hindrances to evangelism and we saw that there are basically four of them. There were many that were suggested but they were, they basically ranged in the, in, in this range there's four of them that we talked about. The first one was ignorance. We simply Refuse to believe that we know all that we need to know to share with another person We think somehow it's got to be deeper. There's more to it. What should I be saying? What passage should I quote? What verses do I need to know? What do I need to memorize and the Bible is very clear And we saw that in John chapter 9? You know what you need to know you just need to know did Jesus change your life? That's all you need to know Did Jesus change your life if he did? That's all you got to share with the person that's asking the question or the person that you want to talk to Jesus changed my life, and that's who I'm here to tell you about. But uh, we wrestle with things like fear. What will people think? What will they say? Will they ask me tough questions that I don't have answers for? How am I going to address these things? And yet we know, again, that simply put, it's just a matter of what's happened in your life. No one can refute the truth of what has happened in our lives. They can deny it. They can argue against it. They can debate it back and forth like they did with the blind man. But you know what? No one can refute what you say has happened in your life. That's a personal testimony. That is what we're to witness about. A witness merely tells what's, what they saw firsthand. Did Jesus change your life? You're a witness or testifying to the fact that here's what he did. You don't need to be afraid about anything. You don't need to be afraid of tough questions. And, and we, but the, I guess that we wrestled with apathy too. Do we really care enough about the person that we say we love? Do we care enough about them to tell them? Or are we apathetic or indifferent? And then the last thing is bad experience. You know, we don't want to be looked at as fanatical. We don't want to be looked at as being uh, different or strange. We want to just blend in with the crowd. But the problem is it's impossible, according to Scripture, for us who have experienced the love and forgiveness of Christ to ever blend in with the crowd ever again. Because the Bible says we're sanctified, we're separated, we're pulled out of the masses of people who need forgiveness, and we're set over here by ourselves. You will never again blend in with this crowd. You are sanctified, separated for God's purposes, and according to His purposes, and for His glory. So you'll never again blend in with the crowd. So it's not even a possibility. So I guess if we could just lay all these things aside, there's one thing I'd like to share with you. This is profound, but that's why you're here, because of the depth of the teaching that takes place. <laughs> this is profound. You want to lay all those excuses aside for a minute. You want to have one principle that will help you share with others to tell them about Jesus Christ. You want to have one thing above anything else. If you leave here, just remember this one thing. When you go out to share with someone else the good news of what God through Christ has done in your life, just remember this one thing. You ready? Are you ready? This is deep. Put yourself in the other person's place. Whoa! It's worth the price of admission, wasn't it? Huh? Put yourself in the other person's place. That's all you got to do. If you're going to care about another person, just remember where they're coming from and don't assume they're where you are. And just as a thought, it may be a great way for us to live in peaceful coexistence with those who haven't reached the height and the spiritual plane that we have found ourselves on. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Hey, stop trying to drag people up to your level of spiritual superiority. Accept them right where they are. If you do that, I'll guarantee you, you'll have an audience with people who would never listen to a thing that you had to say. You remember where they are. I like a man who was with the Navigators. His name is uh, Jim Peterson, and he writes this about a chemist who he was trying to share the good news about Jesus Christ with while he was in Brazil. His chemist name, well, was sharing with his brother, actually, but the chemist was named Osvaldo, and Osvaldo was an industrial chemist, and so this guy with the Navigators was going to come up with a way to share the good news of Jesus Christ with him. So he said he went and he met with Osvaldo, and here's what he did. He said, I got a piece of chalk and a Bible, and I used the wooden floor as a chalkboard. I spent the next two hours showing him a favorite diagram I often used to explain the message of the love of God found in Jesus. I was quite satisfied with my performance, and when I finally finished, I leaned back to observe his reaction, certain he would be on the verge of repentance. He said, instead, he gazed at my illustration, then he gazed at me. He was puzzled. He said, do you mean to tell me that this is why you came all the way to Brazil, to tell people that? To so Osvaldo, what I had said seemed insignificant and irrelevant. I recognized at that moment that I was facing a communications problem I had never been aware of before. Man, I thought it was good. Thought it was good stuff. Thought I had them sold. But you know what? He looked at me and said, You came all the way to Brazil to draw on the floor with chalk? You got to be kidding me. And so his point was well taken. It was that, you know what? I never thought about this, but I need to find some common ground with Osvaldo, the industrial chemist, if I'm ever going to reach him with the love of God in Jesus Christ. And so what we need to do is we need to put ourselves in the other person's place and think like they think. What would they be thinking as we're sharing this with them? As we look at the glazed look on their face and they're going... You know, pick up on these little subtle hints that maybe they're not clicking with you. i got to do that every week. (laughs) But it's important. you got to be in touch with what's going on. And if you see that you're not clicking, then think, hey, what are they thinking right now? How can I reach them? I need to be doing something. What do I need to do? You know, how how can I compete with people walking by a window? By the way, if you want to keep the windows... You better stop looking at them, or we're going to go to like this just box of a room, a big box with no windows, no distractions, whatever it takes. So, you know, try it out. And now it says everyone has to look at the window, you know. You bring out the window, and they'll go, oh, this is going to be the last window we ever look at. It. But anyway, it's like, hey, you know what? Anyway, where, where's all this leading? You got your Bibles with you? I hope. Turn to Acts chapter 8. This is the greatest story or account in the New Testament about one man who witnessed to another man who was of a different culture he was a stranger God used this man to reach a total stranger with the love and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ I am amazed at this story I'm amazed at the account and the great news about what we're gonna read is that from this passage we're gonna find six practical guidelines and everything we've done for the last two weeks have led us to this point. We're going to see six practical guidelines. How do you take what we're learning and put it into real life? Here is a great account of what God could do when one stranger cares enough about another stranger who's from a totally different culture and he shares with them what God wants them to share. Pick it up at verse 26. <clears throat> it says, But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, Arise and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza, and this is a desert road. And he arose and went, and behold, there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah, and the Spirit said to Philip, Go up and join this chariot. And when Philip had run up, he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and he said to him, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, Well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so does not open his mouth. In humiliation his judgment was taken away. Who shall relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself, or does he speak of someone else? And Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. And as they went along the road, they came to water, and the eunuch said to him, Look, there's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, and Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when when they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, but he continued going on his way rejoicing. What a great story. What a great story. And there's so many practical things in it that will help us to be able to take this classroom knowledge, so to speak, and to take it outside into the real world with people that we deal with on a regular basis knowledge without the application of it is just frustration we need to be able to take this and say man you know what here's how I can use this with people that I want to see come to know Christ people that I come in contact with on a daily basis that have never heard about God's love about Jesus Christ I want them to know this but how can I do it so I don't feel so I'm not afraid so I don't feel inadequate, so I don't feel like, oh, you know, this is a canned speech. How can I do it and be real? This is as real as it comes. And what you see Philip doing is a real guideline, and there's six practical guidelines, and we'll, talk, and we'll start with the first one. Go back to um, verse 26 for a second. I'll show you that's really interesting to me, and the first guideline is this if you're jotting them down, and that is the, the, the first thing that we need to do is be sensitive. To be sensitive... Now, I know you're thinking immediately it means be sensitive to the person that you're speaking to. And while we need to do that, we'll talk a little bit about that later. But we're talking about a whole different type of sensitivity. It says in in, uh, verse 26 in the first part of 27, it says, But an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Philip was sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit in his life. It wasn't a sensitivity that had to do with, I need to be sensitive to the person I'm talking to while we, may, um, we must do that. He was sensitive to the Spirit of God as his voice became a part of the life of Philip where he heard God speaking to him. Now, one of the things that could be a, a real hindrance to us in being able to be sen- being sensitive to the Spirit of God is that when we've got a lot of things going on and there's a lot of excitement, we tend to, to not be able to hear his voice very clearly. We're running so fast, that's why I believe the psalmist wrote, Cease striving and know that I'm God. Slow down for a moment and listen to the instructions that I'm trying to give you. If you've come to know Christ, the Bible says the Spirit of God now lives within you, and He is trying to get your attention on a regular basis. But we're moving so fast that we don't have time to listen to Him. So he's saying, slow down for a moment and be sensitive to the leading of the Spirit of God. Now, Philip could have got caught up in all the excitement. Look back at um, verse 4 for a second in and cha- and chapter 8. I mean, this was what was happening in Samaria. Philip was in the middle of all this. He was excited about what God was doing. It says, therefore, those who had been scattered went abroad and, and went about preaching the word. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. And multitudes, multitudes of people with one accord were giving attention to what was being said by Philip. He had crowds that were coming to him, and Philip was telling them about how much God loved them and who Jesus was. And people with one accord were listening and saying, tell us more. We can't get enough of this stuff. And so as they, and they, as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing, it says, For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them, shouting with a loud voice. And many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed, and the lame were walking, and, and, uh, and demons were being cast out. And it says in verse 8, And there was much rejoicing in that city. Man, it was revival time, baby. There was something happening in the city there and Philip was part of it and he was preaching the word and people were coming to, hear, coming to Christ and hearing they were receiving the word that he was preaching and he was excited about what was going on. And it would be very easy at that point for him not to hear the Spirit of God giving him directions for the future. Oh, wait, that can't, what? That can't be. Look at all these people that are coming. Look at the things that are going on. God, you're at work here, baby. That can't be your voice talking to me. That can't be. It says, but. When you see but in Scripture, it means there's a strong change of direction. There's a contrast between what's taking place. There's excitement in Samaria. There are things happening. There's a revival going on. But you know what? God had something different for Philip to do. You ever been there? You ever hear the little voice? You ever hear God saying, hey, don't get hung up on all this stuff over here. This is what I want you to do. But, but but that can't be. This is exciting. Things are happening. What do you want me to do that for? See, if you were ever to incorporate an evangelism heart that pleases God, you must be willing to not get caught up in the excitement of your surroundings and listen and heed the still, quiet voice of the Holy Spirit of God within your life. You have got to hear God speaking to you. You know, it's interesting, you know, and it seems that it's often the case that when there's a lot of exciting things going on and we become comfortable, that's when the Spirit of God is trying to direct us in a new course. And that's when we're most hesitant to go and to heed his voice. But things are going good now, baby. Look at all these converts. I don't care. I'll take care of that. I got something else for you. (laughs) I got to do it. Like a Brother Andrew wrote. Brother Andrew wrote a best-selling book called God's Smuggler. He was a man who was committed to getting the Word of God out to countries and languages that had never had the opportunities that we do to be able to pick up a Bible and read it. Brother Andrew was committed to this, and he just wrote a book not too long ago. It was called And God Changed His Mind Because His People Dared to Ask. And in this book, there was a passage that really spoke to me about the sensitivity of the direction of God. And he said, many times in my life, God has chosen to communicate with me directly. Uh, Not what I would call miraculously, but still directly, through his spirit. It happened once when I was smuggling a carload of several hundred Bibles into Moscow. My companion and I had parked our specially built station wagon on the street, and we were starting to unload the Bibles from their hidden compartments so we could carry them into the church. A very dangerous situation, but not uncommon one for me. I looked up at one point and noticed a perfectly ordinary-looking man who had stopped to watch what we were doing. This was not especially remarkable. People often watched us while we were unloading our vehicles, and we paid little attention because they were only curious. But in my heart, I knew this man was different. How? I can only explain it by saying that God's spirit disturbed something within my spirit. It was a very subtle thing. said, so my reaction to that inner warning was not unlike it might have been if an old friend had whispered in my ear, Andrew, you better watch out. I recognize the Spirit's subtle voice as a result of many years of friendship with Him. This ability to, quote, hear the Spirit grows over time, of course, but listening is one of the most important parts of our relationship with God. I like what he has to say. To be sensitive to the voice of God in your life. I had a friend who was in the locker room, and uh, he was talking with one of his teammates, and uh, a guy just came back from a trip in Palm Springs and he said, man, you know, this is one, one The guy, the guy was saying, we were down in Palm Springs and there's all these Jesus freak people around here, these motorcycle dudes walking around saying, you know, trust in Jesus, believe in Jesus. They were handing out these little papers and, and stuff and all this. He goes, man, and this is what he said, he goes, can you believe that? And then he said, what do you think about stuff like that? And this was several days later and my friend said, you know what? He said, I heard a voice. Saying, tell him what you think. Tell him what you think. He said, but I spent more time arguing with that voice. <laughs> I never told him what I thought. He said, and I got in a car and almost broke down and wept. So because I knew God wanted me to tell him what I had come to find out myself. But I argued with the voice and I wasn't sensitive to what he was saying. And it just crushed me when I left. And so when we got together, I said, I'll tell you what. Why don't you just ask God to forgive you for that, and then you commit to him that the next opportunity he gives you that you'll heed the voice, and you'll tell him exactly what you think. Just pray for another opportunity, because you see him every day, so it's not like you're never going to see him again. So just pray for an opportunity to speak to him. You see, that voice, have you ever had that? Well, tell him. Well, tell her. Tell her now tell her about Jesus now and we get in the car and we drive away and we almost kick ourselves because we didn't listen see here, here's a guideline for you Philip was sensitive to the voice of God in his life and when the voice said do this he said okay when the voice says tell her do it when the voice says tell him Do it. It doesn't get any more practical than that. Listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit speaks, we must listen. But see, you know what? Sensitivity is not enough. Although in in the particular case, I like what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah was a man who was also sensitive to the Spirit of God. Nehemiah in chapter 1, verse 2 says... Hannah and I, one of, my brothers came, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about what was going on in Jerusalem. And they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah was in a difficult position. He was a man who had a prestigious job. He had, a great, he had a good reputation. He had good benefits for what he was doing. And it was brought to his attention that there was trouble in the city of Jerusalem. And the Spirit of God began working in his life, began speaking to him about the problem and what his part would be in it. And he had a dilemma that he needed to, to face, and that was, what would he do? Would he be sensitive to the leading of God? And if he was sensitive, how would he demonstrate his sensitivity? And that's the second point. And the second point is very simple. You know what? If you're sensitive, you're also going to be available. If you are truly a sensitive person that heeds the voice of God in your life, then you must become available to the direction that God wants you to go. You will go any direction. You will go anytime. You will go anywhere when you hear him saying it's time to go. Look at Philip did in verse 27 through 30. says, you know what? So I started out. And on his way, that's when he met the Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. See, this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. He says, you know what Philip did? He ran up to the chariot. He left the excitement of Samaria. He was available to the leading of God. He said, you want me to go? I'm going to go. It's as simple as that. And I think a lot of times we read passages like this and say, well, if the Spirit of God was speaking to me as an audible voice from heaven, then I would be obedient too. Because I certainly wouldn't have enough guts to say to God, well, I'm not going to go and wrestle with him. But see, you know what? It doesn't say that he spoke audibly from heaven. It says the Spirit of God spoke to him. It says the Spirit of God told him. The Spirit of God talks to you and I the same way the Spirit of God talked to Philip. He wasn't yelling out of a cloud. He was yelling from the inside of his very being. Philip, go up to the chariot. See, you know what's great about the Word of God? When we make ourselves available to God, God, as we walk in obedience, progressively unveils His direction and His plan and His purpose. But He never tells you the whole story before you take a step forward out of faith. Moses, Abraham... David, all took a step of faith before God began to unveil his plan in their life. The only person in Scripture that saw the whole picture at one time was the Apostle John as he was being given the revelation of Jesus Christ. And you know what? The poor guy almost had a heart attack. He couldn't handle the scene, and neither can I. How about you? God said, here's the game plan. This is what we're going to do. We're going to do this, 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 and this. And by this year, you're going to be here. And by this year, you're going to be that. Oh, and you might even suffer some major illness over here. And then this year, you're going to do this. And you're going to be in the hospital for six months. But all of it's going to be great because it's all going to work for the end. Uh, uh, I got a better idea. Let's go back to your way of doing it. Just tell me where you want me to be today. And I'll do that. And then when I wake up tomorrow, I'll be where I am t- tomorrow because of what I did yesterday. You see? That's how God reveals himself to us. See, and that's what Philip, I mean, Philip was just available. So he went up. And I like Nehemiah, too. Because you know what, Nehemiah? says, the king said to me in verse uh, 4 of chapter 2, said, the king said to me, hey, what is it you want? And I prayed to the God of heaven to answer the king. Hey, if it pleases the king and if your servants have found favor in your sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so I can rebuild it. Then the king said, with the queen sitting beside him, ask me, how long are you going to be gone? And when will you come back? And it pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. So guess what? I'm going to go. I like what Isaiah said. He said the same thing. He said, hey, then then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. He said, then you go and tell this people, be ever hearing, but never understanding, be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Isaiah chapter 6. You know what they said? They said, I'm sensitive to what's going on. I sense there's a need. I hear your voice. And rather than say, well, who are we going to send? Send Bart. Send Joe. Oh, you know, Mary do a great job. You know what these, I mean, A sensitive servant of God says, I'm available. You want me to do it? I'll go and do it. I was listening not too long ago to, um, this is kind of one of these little weird things that that I think are funny, and we'll find out if you do in a minute. But um, It's kind of one of those cute little things, you know, phrases that you'll never hear another person say. Phrases you'll never hear another person say, okay? Here's one of those phrases. Phrases that you'll never hear another person say. You'll never hear... What, more food? No thanks, I couldn't eat another bite. You'll never hear Roseanne Barr say that. That's a <laughs> phrase that you'll never hear her say. You'll never hear the announcer at the Indy 500 say this. And the winner of this year's Indy 500 is Charlie Wu. You'll never hear the announcer of Indy say the winner is Charlie Wu. Now that one you have to think about a little bit. It's a cultural thing, and, uh, but just let it sink in. And um, next time you're driving down the freeway, that'll come to you. Um, <laughs> All right, now I get it. Now I oh, now I get it. Now I get it. All right, hey, I didn't write this stuff. I stole it, and uh, obviously I didn't steal the right ones, <laughs> but uh, well, and and the, and the last thing is that's right. You'll never hear the announcer at the Indy 500 say, "And the winner of this year's Indy 500 is Charlie Wu." All right, forget it. Hey, and the last thing that you'll never hear is that you'll never hear God say don't worry about sharing with you fill in the blank I'll send someone else you never hear that you'll never hear it so as we're going back in our journey the third practical guideline has to do with initiative to initiate the conversation in Acts chapter 8 verse 30 it says then Philip ran up to the chariot heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet and he said do you understand what you're reading he didn't say it in a flippant manner. He didn't say it trying to be offensive in his approach. He just asked out of genuine concern, do you, do you understand what you're reading? Can I help you with what you're reading? Do you understand it? And see, you know, we need to initiate the conversation. And you ever read through the book of Acts, and it's kind of like you smile, you say, they come up to him and it says, Tell me, what must I do to be saved? Now, I don't know about you, but I've never had anybody run up to me and ask me that question. Have you? I mean, I have never in my life had somebody run up to me and ask me that question. What must I do to be saved? It's not going to happen. So what you have to do is you have to begin to initiate conversation. What's the best way to initiate a conversation? Think about our, our, our guy sitting on the airplane. How did he initiate the conversation? Yeah. ask some questions talk about the listener hey you know what you can't come up with a better time to initiate a conversation than, than what we got going on in the world around us today what do you think about the war in the Middle East how do you think it's going to affect the economy why do you think that what do you think about all these demonstrations what do you think about the prayer meetings that are going on do you pray for the guys over in the Middle East and gals that are over there are you praying for them if so who do you pray to what do you pray about what do you pray for What I mean? What are you doing? You know, and initiate. You initiate the conversation by asking questions. Do you understand what you're reading? Do you understand what's going on? Are you afraid of a world war? Do you ever think about dying? Does it frighten you when you think about dying? What do you think happens when you die? Man, I'll tell you what. It's not hard to get a conversation going in that area. With what we have happening in the world we live in you want to initiate a conversation that will lead to a discussion that's the way to do it look at number four number four has to do with tactfulness tactfulness in 830 through 34 I had to read this one over and over again because it's something I need to learn But uh, it says that Philip ran up to the chariot, heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. And he said, do you understand what you're reading? Philip answered, how can I? I'm sorry, he asked. And then he said, how can I, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And the eunuch was reading the passage of Scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In humiliation, he was deprived of justice, and who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? says that he was tactful in his approach. He waited to be invited. He waited and listened to the conversation. He listened to the questions. You know, one of our big problems is it's like, okay, I'm going to share the four spiritual laws. And don't interrupt me with questions. Don't interrupt me with anything. Okay, just let me get through this because I just memorized it last week. <laughs> Shut up. Would you listen for a second? And that's the way we are. It's like, okay, we, we don't want to make it just a real conversation. It becomes a canned approach. Here it is. I just learned this at church. I've got to use it. I'm going to see if this really works. So that's not what Philip did. He just said, hey. And he listened to what he said. And he listened to all the questions. And he didn't, he didn't embarrass the man by saying, well, that's the dumbest question I ever heard. Man, can't you come up with a better one than that? You mean that's the only thing holding you back? That little stupid question? Well, don't even worry about that because that question's important to that person. That question needs to be addressed and so he tactfully listened he didn't make the man sound foolish he let him just go ahead and share with what he wanted to share and he was he waited for the right opportunity to respond so, I need to learn tact I know that and I thought I learned it a while ago yeah, but you don't <laughs> and, and I thought I had learned that a while ago one of the first jobs that I had, and I was, a, I was a freshman in college, one of the first jobs I had, I was working in a, in a um, it was in a supermarket, I was a produce manager in a supermarket, and it was in a kind of a richy section, kind of a wealthy section, an old Jewish established neighborhood in, in the South Hills of Pennsylvania. And you get older clientele, and they can be really fussy, you know what I mean? And, um, and, uh, and I, I was going to say older women, <laughs> but I know that that wouldn't be tactful. So. <laughs> So anyway, they're just kind of funny to deal with. So one day this lady comes in and she says, "I'd like to buy a half a head of lettuce." And that's—I really laugh that that kind of stuff happened all the time. And half a head of lettuce. I said, "Oh, uh, wait here for one minute." So I'm walking away going, "Half a head of lettuce, man!" And so I walked in the back. I said, "You're not going to believe this," and I told the guy I was working for, it, "Cut a, a head of lettuce, and some idiot lady wants to buy a half a head of lettuce." and the guy that I was talking to, his eyeballs got this big and he was looking right past my shoulder. And, and you know what happened. She didn't wait right there. She followed me back. I guess to make sure it was the right size or whatever. So she followed me back and without blinking, I turned around and said, and this lovely woman would like to buy the other half. That's that. That's that. So, you know, we, we, need, we need to learn this. We need to learn these things. We need to be sensitive. We need to, we need to listen um, before we respond. And uh, we've got to be real careful um, <laughs> what we say. You know, it, and, and, uh, and I struggle with that. I'll be honest with you. I, I've never been a real tactful person. And, and, um, and you see that, and you know that. And to some degree it's funny, but in other ways it's not. And it's something that uh, we all need to be sensitive to. And especially if we want to win people for Christ. We need to be able to accept people as God does, right where they are. With all the differences, with uh, not being able to relate, with not being like us. But to be tactful and to listen before we respond and to wait for the invitation to respond. And he said, can you explain this to me? And Philip was, hey, I've been waiting for it, and I'll be happy to. But you know what he did? And this is where we need maybe to get a better grip. And that was, he was precise in what he said. He was precise in what he said. And this is probably the greatest struggle that I have seen with some of us when it comes to sharing exactly what God wants us to share. It says, the eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? He said, can you now explain it to me? Philip listened, waited for the right moment, and said, oh, okay. Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Man, you know, if you could just do this for a second. He told him the good news about Jesus. That's what he told him. He didn't get sidetracked. He didn't talk about all the stuff that's going on in the world around him. He didn't talk about denominations. He didn't talk about churches. He didn't talk about infant baptism, adult baptism. He didn't talk about all the stuff that we get hung up in conversation. He didn't talk about how much you have to tithe. He didn't talk about whether you have to go to church three out of four weeks or four out of four or how do you keep a clean slate. He didn't talk about any of that stuff. You know what he talked about? He took the man right where he was, and he talked about Jesus. Jesus. That's what he talked about. He didn't get hung up on everything else. And he said, "Well, what did he tell him? What do you talk about if you're going to preach Jesus to somebody? Well, here's some suggestions. He talked about his person. You know what? You know, a lot of people don't know that Jesus Christ is God? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld. His glory, glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of truth and grace. Do you realize that not, a lot of, not everybody knows that Jesus Christ is God in human flesh? He told them that. He talked about Jesus. He talked about His work. He talked about the fact that God took on, the, t- took on humanity and came to earth for one reason, to seek and to save that which was lost. To come to this earth to offer forgiveness and restoration to a people that have a rebellious heart against God. That's what He came for. That's what he talked about. He talked about Jesus. He talked about his love, and yet while we were sinners, Christ, God demonstrated his love for us. And yet while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He said right where you're at, you know, he loves you just where you are. That's what he told him. He talked about his perfect gift that God gave his only begotten son, John three sixteen, that whoever would believe in Jesus would have eternal life. That's what he told him. I mean, that's what it's all about. He talked about his death. Without the shedding of blood, there could be no remission of sin. That's why he had to die on the cross, to forgive our sins. He talked about the fact that he was an eternal being, that he was God in human flesh. And because he was eternal, that that death was sufficient for every person that was ever born on the face of the earth, past, present, and to come. His life, his death was sufficient for everyone. He talked about his resurrection. The great proof of Christ, the truth of Christianity and the proof of the claims of Christ is, is inexplicably taught in the resurrection of Christ. He rose from the dead. He is alive today. And because he is, we can face tomorrow, as the song says. And because he lives, we will live again. We will live, the moment we ask him to come into our life, we'll have eternal life. The moment we die physically, we'll be in his presence. And one day we too will have a resurrected body and we will live with him forever. That's what he told him. He didn't get off on all the rest of the stuff. I mean, if there's anything that will be practical, it's just this. Just talk about Jesus. That's all you got to talk about. Talk about Jesus. It doesn't get much simpler than that. Forget about church. Forget about tithing. Forget about this. Forget about that. Talk about Jesus. That's as precise as it gets. And then the last thing, in being a sensitive person, there comes a point in time where a decision is mandatory. Not only is it necessary, but it's commanded and it's mandatory. And you know what Philip said? If you believe with all your heart, you may. And the man asked him, said, Hey, can we be baptized? Said, Hey, wait, don't worry about baptism yet. First, you must believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is God. You must believe in your heart. And then you can be baptized. See, belief always precedes baptism, belief always precedes churchy activities, belief always precedes pleasing God. The greatest work of pleasing God is the work of Jesus Christ and believing upon him. All the rest of the stuff we've been talking about this series are things that take place after you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Belief always precedes works according to scripture. But our works are a manifestation of what we say we believe in our heart. They become an outward expression of who we say we follow, who we say we love, who we say we're dedicated to, who we say we're committed to. We must then live it. That's what it says, and that's what he did. In Acts 2, it says, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the others, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said, Repent, and then be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent. That's all you got to do. There comes a point in time where you ask the person that you've been sharing with, Hey, who do you say Jesus Christ is? Doesn't matter what your family says, doesn't matter what your cousin say, Your brother says, people you work with say, "Who do you say Jesus is?" That is the question that will determine the destiny of each one of us that are within the sound of my voice. Who do you? Not who do I? Not who does anybody around you, but have you come to that point in your life and in your heart where you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Have you come to the point where Peter did when he said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God? I believe that with all my heart. Forgive me for my sin. Come into my life and make me the kind of person you want me to be. That's the answer to that question. Have you come to that point? So we'll take a look at it real quick. Here's six practical guidelines. Sensitivity, which, which has to do with listening to the Spirit of God. Be careful. Be ready to follow his leading. Availability. If you hear him say it, do it. If he says, call Sally this week and have lunch with her. Why? I haven't talked to her for a while. Just do it. Because I want her to hear how much I love her. Oh, okay. If he says, why don't you write to so and so? But I haven't written to him for six months. I haven't talked to him in a year. I'm saying write. Just write. Don't ask questions. Just do what I'm telling you to do. Be quiet and listen. And if you are, you'll be available. You'll pick up the phone. You'll write the letter. You'll take them to lunch. You'll talk to them. You'll go to the game. You'll do whatever you have to do because you'll want to be available. Initiate the conversation. Nobody's going to ask you. They may say, hey, what's different about you? Hey, great. You know what? I never thought we could stay married as long as we did. We used to fight all the time. But you know what? Until I came to know Jesus Christ, it was destined for doom. But since I've come to know him, it's been the greatest thing in my life. See? Until I came to know Jesus, you're right. But when I did, he changed my life. Initiate the conversation. Be tactful in your approach. Listen to what they say. Listen to their objections. Listen to their questions. Get answers if you need to. But when it's the time to respond, then respond appropriately. And that has to do with preciseness. Talk about Jesus. Stop talking about everything else. Talk about Jesus. Because he's the only one. He's the only name under heaven by which men can be saved. Nothing else makes any difference at all. Tell them about Jesus. And the last thing is, if it comes time and it's appropriate, then ask them to make a decision. Have you come to that decision in your own life? Have you made a decision on who Jesus Christ is? Remember that evangelism, telling others about God's love in Jesus Christ, pleases God. Have you answered that question? It needs to be answered. Because one day, every person... Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess so those are in heaven, those are on earth, and those under the earth, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. And it's kind of like the old oil filter commercial, you pay me now or pay me later. And men and women, I'll tell you what, if I were you, I'd pay them now because later's too late. Let's pray. Our Father, we just thank you for a clear message on how to share with others your love. Father, we just thank you that uh, we can learn from the life of a man that you called Philip that he was sensitive to your leading, that he was available, that he initiated the conversation, that he was tactful in his approach, that he was precise in speaking about Jesus and his love for us and what he did. And yet he also brought it to a close where he was not hesitant to ask, who do you say that Jesus Christ is? Father, help us also to be as dedicated, as bold, as committed, and to realize the sense of urgency in a world that is so mobile, so... uh, always moving in different directions, we never know how long the person that you've brought into our life, the person that you've given us a burden for, we don't know how long they'll be in our life. We don't know how long they've got to live. And we certainly don't know how long the opportunity will be available for us to be able to tell them of your great love. God, help us to walk away from here with a newfound sense of urgency in a world that is quickly coming to an end. We just thank you and praise you that the blessed hope for every Christian who has ever put their heart and trust in you is the blessed coming. Your second coming, one, one day, you'll return to this earth and you'll restore peace and order and you'll fulfill a government that you'll be the head of. And yet we can only look forward to that if we've come to know you and for everyone else who has not, there's a there's a sense of terror that's involved in such a scenario. God, help us to alleviate the fears of many by sharing your love with them. And we just thank you and praise you that all you ask us to do is to share and that you're responsible for the growth, for the conversion, and for all that goes along with that. And we just thank you and praise you in the wonderful name of Jesus, who without his blood being shed on the cross, we would not even be having this conversation today. And we just thank you and praise you in his name. Amen.